Hello and welcome to a new podcast brought to you by the Occidental newspaper and produced by the Occidental podcast team. This podcast will allow our listeners to understand the social and political landscape that exists here at Occidental College and gives our participants an opportunity to express themselves in a non-classroom setting. This podcast will encourage respectful debate or discussion despite the sometimes polarizing topics that will be featured. In this episode, we will be discussing whether or not affirmative action is considered just I'm your host, Emma Cho, a current opinions editor and staff writer for the Occidental newspaper. I'm here today with Nora and Aya. Please introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Nora of class of 2024, and I major in philosophy and mathematics. Hi, this is Aya Segura. I'm a senior UEP major. Nice. And so, as I just said, we'll be discussing whether or not affirmative action is considered just in light of this case the Supreme Court is currently looking at. Students for Fair Admissions, also known as SFFA, versus Harvard. SFFA is arguing that Harvard's current admissions practices violate the Equal Protection Clause and is looking to overturn Grutter v. Bollinger, which currently allows race to be a factor but not the determining factor in college acceptance. Harvard, on the other hand, says that they aim for a demographically diverse student body. So just to get right into it, what are our thoughts on, or initial reactions to the case? What are your feelings towards affirmative action? Well, the first time I heard about this case, it was in the context of Harvard, and specifically that Asian American students were, to me, it sounded like complaining that they weren't admitted into Harvard. And initially, I was very resistant and dismissive of the whole thing of like, I don't really need to hear about how people are bitter about how they didn't get into Harvard. And I think my initial gut reaction would be that affirmative action is important to maintain a diverse student body, because I think diversity among your student body lends itself to a better learning environment where you have different perspectives. I had a mixed reaction. I'm generally not a fan of affirmative action in general. Like in a perfect world, you would not need affirmative action. You would have merit-based, 100%. You deserve to be here, depending on like what your interests are and what the university is looking for. But in an imperfect world, you would need this kind of, I do call it a band-aid on certain discrepancies when it comes to education and the way people can attain higher education. So I don't know. It's very hard to say what exactly is right or wrong in this case. Kind of going off of that, Aya, you kind of talked about how diversity would be an important factor in learning environments. For both of you, what intensity would you say that schools should put attention on factor the factor of race when admitting students? So one argument that kind of comes up is that you can kind of look at race similar to family legacy or home state background, things like that. So what are your opinions on that? I believe that you shouldn't deny that race plays a role because race is tied to many things. We're talking about, I I feel like everything is more tied to the economic and socioeconomic state rather than race because much of it comes up as people who are marginalized in that sense, living in poorer areas, not having better education. So you shouldn't deny the aspect of them having this experience, but that shouldn't be the star of the show. So you should put the student in the context so it shouldn't be like, oh yeah, there is this merit that you should reach 
that should should be part of it. But if you're close enough to that merit and then you consider this aspect as well, then yes, you should consider it. So again, not the star of the show, but rather the supplemental information that might help you understand where the student is coming from. And Aya, what about you? I think this brings up a question for me of what are schools evaluating when they're in the process of admitting students, mm. where I think there's some schools where you could argue that they really are looking for merit if it's more of like a career track where mm. you're maybe it's a program to become a nurse or a doctor where it's really about your skill sets. Actually, that's not a great example because I, if you're my doctor, I want you to be culturally aware. Okay. <laughs> but for example, if you're going to be like a math professor, if you're on a math PhD track, and I think when I think about race as a, as a factor or trying to get to know the whole person or the whole student, that feels most relevant for me when it's like a liberal arts school, mm. which, you know, is, is where I'm at. So maybe that's just where I'm coming from, where if you're upholding the value of the ability to like critically think or to empathize with others or to, you know, connect and talk about ideas, then maybe it's valid for an institution to be evaluating someone's personal experience, but there also could be an argument that in some cases you don't need a student to be in tune with their personal experience, or you don't need to be evaluated. Like, what are you looking for in a student's personal experience and for what purpose? So I almost, I think most people are going to have some concept of their racial identity or their identity in relation to race. I'm just not really sure if institutions have the time and capacity to thoroughly be evaluating that and for what purpose. It kind of made me start thinking about like the admissions people themselves. Do you think that comes into play if it's a sort of the institution or the people that are going through the applications? Um, do you think they would have some sort of like internal bias, even if they don't even see the name or the race, that they would be picking apart people like them? Like, how do you think we could, in, I mean, what would you propose that like colleges go about the race aspect? Like looking at it at all or proposing like the quota or number? Like, I don't know, it's just kind of thinking about the people that are like what race they are when looking for applicants. Yeah, I think that, I don't think we're ever gonna be in a race blind society. I don't think that's the goal either. I think that we all are different people for so many different reasons and ignoring that difference is not helpful. Right. And I don't think it's even possible. For example, like you raised looking at an applicant's name, we all just form opinions or create an image of a person based on their name because we get some information, we do what we will with it, we're processing the information that we get. I'm just not sure that putting in these, it kind of feels like just because you're gonna be instituting, I think it goes both ways where I think if you say, oh, we're not gonna look at race, we're gonna be quote race neutral, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And so if you're sitting there being like, oh, like if I'm thinking, if I have certain ideas about this person because of their name, I'm not being race neutral. Oh no, like then all of a sudden you are thinking about it. Mm 
on the other hand, if you're going to be like, oh, we need to consider somebody's racial identity as it pertains to their experience, then you're also liable to just project your own ideas of what it means to be XYZ race onto these people, which also is not that helpful. Either way, you're not allowing the student to just exist as they are in their identity. That doesn't really answer the question about what to do about it. I would say this. There are students who would like race to be considered because they want to display this kind of effort within their circle. And there are people who want to demonstrate their exceptional talents outside of their circle. I was listening to this podcast slash it's, it's a channel on YouTube called Abba and Preach. Funny guys amazing people and they said that you shouldn't be race blind at all in general because by saying that you don't see color you're denying their experience and i felt that <laughs> i was like yeah you know what they, these guys are right because if you are saying that oh yeah i don't differentiate this and that you're denying a certain cultural aspect of this person from where their beliefs and background might be coming from so that's what i'm saying in application, you shouldn't necessarily be looking at race as the first thing. You should see if this person fits in terms of academic goals. Because to me, universities and colleges are academic institutions. They only carry this character for me. So to me, the most important aspect in my application was my GPA, my SAT scores, etc., etc. So based on those and based on the classes we took and based on the area where I was taking those classes because it also varies from high school to high school, they should assess and see if I can actually succeed in their on their campus. And if I can't, then it would be not the best idea to accept me. And if I will, then that's when they look into the background and see if my some of the discrepancies are filled in with my personal statement. And besides, from the personal statement, you'll be able to tell sometimes what, what the background is of the student without having to see the race or name. Yeah, that's where, I mean, it goes back to, like, what is the purpose? Like, what are we doing at colleges and universities? Mm -hmm. I think I have some resistance around, like, a purely merit-based approach because even from my own experience, I know I've changed and grown as a person in my last four years. <laughs> Um, character I'm development like, I, know. I mean maybe maybe it's just cyclical who knows maybe I'm just spiraling endlessly but even so I feel like you can come to a place you're going to meet new people go through new things and you're going to be allowed to have a place where you can evolve and like be exposed to different things learn things make decisions and who you are as a high school senior is absolutely not what like who you're going to continue to be throughout your four years and i don't think anyone's expecting that as it is and i don't think we should be expecting that either so it's kind of for example if someone maybe doesn't seem to have i just i just have so much resistance around like using gpa and grades as the marker of mm -hmm. student performance and like students contribution to the academic sphere or community i don't think that race needs to be the secondary i mean i don't but that's the thing i don't think any school is using race as like the number two option of like evaluating students but as the so i think it's merit as in like gpa mm -hmm. and like 
standardized testing. And then the other side of it is like personal experience. And that includes like experience, like leadership experience, extracurriculars, personal statement where they want to see like who you are as a person, quote unquote. My response to that would have been it's up to the student where they go. So is it, I've noticed a tendency with these Supreme Court cases on affirmative action. They come from large institutions, first of all, popular ones, second of all, and third of all, they are very competitive, these places that are applying. So Harvard is super competitive. There was the case with the UCLA or UC, just the UCs in general being this large case. These are very competitive schools. And usually when you go there, you most likely have your career path in your mind. There are certain goals that you would like to meet while you attend this institution. I came to a liberal arts school because of two things. First, three, thing, uh, three things actually close to my home. It was small place and I knew about it and they accepted me. And also I didn't know what to do. I, I wouldn't be able to succeed as much, I think, in certain places, like let's say MIT or super uh, Georgia Tech or Cal Caltech or all these super specialized places. There are folks who can't really go and attend these places when they're trying to find themselves. So it's up to the student. That's why these cases vary from like group to group and that's why the admission processes are different from one place to another. Moving on to our next question, what, in terms of the consequences you see happening with affirmative action, what consequences or what concerns do you have regarding affirmative action and its effect on individual students or groups? And um, in a narrow approach, the founder of SFFA, Edward Blum, is using the argument that Harvard discriminates against Asian Americans. So what ways do you see his approach affecting Asian Americans personally? I think there is actually a pretty big difference just from skimming the court document of how your average student is perceiving the affirmative action case and what it actually is arguing for. And I think in a lot of discussion around affirmative action, it kind of comes down to, I think my main concern around affirmative action is the kind of reductive approach and conversation about racial identity and who you are as a person and who you are as a student where I mean it makes me personally uncomfortable and I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to think that an institution or your peers around you or even yourself are starting to have questions about like am I here just as a diversity hire or as like to fill a quota or I'm, I'm just here because I'm the token underrepresented like XYZ I just don't think that's helpful to your own personal well-being and also academically if you're sitting in a classroom and thinking that your perspective is just the tokenized one. I'm not sure that institutions talking about this or this being a national court case has a direct impact on that. That's a thought I have. I think another, another thought is that it's just a very interesting tactic to be lumping white and Asian American students together as being negatively impacted against Hispanic and black students. I just don't like how that also feels reductive and feels a little like you're pitting people against each other when you're all trying to learn. You're all trying to just take the next step in your life. Yeah, just like a quick note on the use of Asian American as an identity as a whole. It's super broad. You can't really define 
every person who may or may not identify as Asian American, whether or not they would demographically be characterized as that. That's just not an experience that can be put under this one umbrella. And Nora, what about you? Initially, I was thinking affirmative action has negative consequences from time to time. So let's say you get into an institution due to affirmative action and then after a while you just understand that you can't do this anymore because you just don't fit in with people on campus. Some colleges might make it very appealing to attend this institution, but at the same time you would go in there and they don't uphold the standards that they promised they will uphold. This came up in our conversation, but that's generally the idea of having affirmative action, having these negative impacts on individual students. But I also looked at some of the student body percentages, let's say in Harvard, UCLA, Stanford, and many other, no, those were like mainly the ones I focused on. And if you were to lump the white and Asian population, it's just more than 50% in some cases. So that, the affirmative action negatively impacting the majority of students, there are certain Oxy students who believe that, and I'm directly quoting from the Oxy Confessions page, but Oxy was a lot better at gaslighting me into coming here than actually trying to keep me here. Oxy is really a different experience if you're not white, so that's kind of upholding my point. And just for statistical kind of data, I looked at Occidental as well, and we have almost 50% of white population and everything else being the other 50%, which is ludicrous in my opinion, considering what kind of values Oxy tries to portray. What do we think about that? (laughs) It's kind of controversial. I think it's also interesting, something that comes up in the court cases is this idea of a critical mass, where there's, and then also the fancy little legal term, the other one, the two legal terms I found in the case were trying to achieve a critical mass of XYZ underrepresented students and then also this phenomenon of racial balancing so it's kind of an interesting like two sides of the same coin where i think schools would argue that they want to reach a certain level of representation among underrepresented populations whereas other people would argue that oh okay so just because you maintain this proportionate to the general population level of a racial group that that's just what you're going to maintain for like a decade or beyond I think when there are affirmative action type or which apparently quotas are not, you're not allowed to have quotas, period. But anything around sort of trying to take into consideration your statistical demographic diversity of your student body, I think runs the risk of just letting your population be what it is. It kind of creates a quasi-quota. Right. Because now you're just trying to maintain the percentages. Right. So it is so it is somewhat like quotas. It's just like they replaced some things with another. They can't allocate a number of seats, but that doesn't mean that they can't kind of manipulate the percentages of people they accept or not accept. So it's like the seats are neutral, but we'd give a preference to these kinds of folks because it will kind of play in favor of our percentages. So quasi-quotas. That's what I would refer to it. I think yes, because considering our statistics, again, I'm going to read off from the U.S. Department of Education. It says that currently there are 48% students have, 
with the income that is higher than $100,000, even more than that. And then uh, in terms of race, we have barely any diversity. It's almost 50% being white, then the additional 15 from Asian, four black, 16 Hispanic. And considering the kind of beliefs and values that Occidental is trying to portray, they are very hypocritical in their admissions process, apparently, because there is barely any kind of representation. So I'd say we should. It's, it's, again, it's a Band-Aid to a, for a symptom, but if, if this is what we're looking at, then perhaps we should consider it. I don't think we should be using explicit affirmative. I don't think we need to incorporate that of where like race is an explicit factor in admissions consideration. I think there's clearly a broader structural thing going on where as Nora kind of suggested like income socio socioeconomic status is like a huge deciding factor when it's like you need to pay tuition you know financial aid is claims to meet a hundred percent of need though which is interesting and that's a lie I mean okay so somehow they're somehow they're able to make that claim though Anyway, th that's a separate. As someone who has had need and money, I, I'm lucky right now, but when I was forced to live on campus, because I live 10 minutes away, but they still forced me to get a dorm that I didn't use. But in general, they didn't, they didn't help me out in this case. I didn't even ask them for additional money. I asked that I live off campus so I don't have to pay for my dorm yet they forced me to pay for my dorm. So thank you, Occidental, <laughs> for doing such a great job at supporting your students. I don't know that Occidental College as an institution is responsible for the broader social stuff at play that funnels kids into institutes of institutions of higher education based on like socioeconomic access or not. Or like, I just don't think that explicit affirmative action based on race especially is going to do much at a hyper-localized institutional level. They should start with economic because it might not be a race, but whenever you do socioeconomic considerations, race follows because if you look at the statistics, the marginalized folks are usually of the minority races, not the white folks, although there are plenty of those who don't have enough for a living. However, these people who might not have been accepted because they don't earn, and this is speculations, but they don't earn, let's say, $100,000, or they, they can't pay their way out, or there is like some issue or another, if they don't get accepted, at least here, which is a pretty good institution for networking, et cetera, et cetera, they will not get out of this pit hole of generational poverty and generational inability to like, have a better career or, I don't know, just get out of this position that they're in of not so sophisticated education, not being present in the academic circles, et cetera, et cetera. This is for them. This is not for anyone else but those people who want to get out, but they just can't any other way. 
I guess I just don't see accessing an institution of higher education as the like magic bullet that's going to break you out of generational poverty. That's true. But yeah. it's it's another pathway. Yeah. I think maybe what I would want to see Oxy do if we're talking about Oxy is like focus on supporting students that they do admit. Like kind of like what you were saying earlier, once you do come here, whether or not once you are admitted as a student who has maybe feels underrepresented or who doesn't feel like you belong at a place of higher education, once you're here, you should be made to feel welcome. Welcome. By the, although, man, I don't know. I just, I don't know that an institution is ever going to be able to do that for somebody, but they should be trying. They should be trying. There is um, a clear desire for an attempt. We need the attempt. <laughs> I guess, like, maybe the core of what I'm trying to say is that just getting just getting your numbers up on paper does not mean that your students are actually going to have an equal experience or equal level opportunity once they get there. Once you Just because you have your pretty little numbers on paper does not mean you're going to have the same graduation rates or the same career success rates after the fact. That does not mean they're going to have a good quality of life when they're at your institution. True. I do agree with that one. All right. And on that note, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of our new podcast. I was joined here today with... Nora Manukian. And... Aya Sakira. And I'm Emma Cho. Thank you so much for listening.